tēnā koutou. You're listening to a core education Tātai Ahorau podcast. E mihi nui ana ki a koe hole, a koe whakawate a koe i a koe ano, a ki te hono mai ki tēnei kaupapa. Thank you so much for joining us today. I feel like I don't really need to tell people because, as I say, when you open your mouth, you have this voice that takes us to our way to a place. I love your talent. Uh, I sit in awe of your talent. And I love the fact that you have had bilingual collaborations with Teeks, uh, Whakaria Mai, uh, Don McGlashan, and you've been part of the Waiata Anthem series. And I got a little insight into that uh, when my husband helped translate one of your Waiata, a couple of your Waiata as well. So uh, Janelle, would you like to do the big introduction for Holly Smith? Kia ora, tēnā rawa tu koe, te maraikura nau mai harumai wanganui, tēnei whānau. Holly Smith recently crowned the winner of the second season of The Masked Singer NZ, but she was phenomenal in The Masked Singer. She is one of Aotearoa's most recognisable artists of the 21st century. As Stacey has already said, she has worked with all of the phenomenal kaiwaiata here in Aotearoa. Antiques, again, another phenomenal artist. Don McGlashan and several, many, many others. Her fourth solo album is Coming In From The Dark, an album which further showcases her powerful, beautiful voice and emotive songwriting and sees her collaborating with some of New Zealand's top musicians. People, again, like Teeks Sole Mio, again, a fangirl of theirs, with three number one studio albums and numerous iconic collaborations. Holly has well and truly confirmed her status as one of Aotearoa's most beloved, esteemed and prolific artists as she enters her third decade as an artist and musician. Tēnā koe, Holly, no mai haramai hoa. Kia thank you so much for the intro. Lovely. Very nice to be here. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Nā mahi nui ki a koutou. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Holly Smith. I am a musician. I sing and write and produce and arrange and have been doing it for a long time. started writing when I was about 11 years old um, and started sort of doing shows and, and professional stuff around sort of 13, 14, uh, left school after sixth form and sort of just continued to do that. I moved down to Wellington when I was about 19 for about six or seven years, which I'll talk a bit further about later. On a default move back up to Auckland, I thought I was going to be going abroad. I stayed here and then was down in Tauranga for about five years, raising my whanai son Taimana um, from about three, he was about three to about eight-ish. Um, he's now 13. He's fantastic. Initially, I started doing some mentoring through the Music Commission. So I was working with intermediate level kids and some early high school legal kids just doing some mentoring and talking through songwriting and other elements of your music. When I was in Tauranga, I sort of ended up sort of teach writing at both his kindergarten when he was there at Ataki and then went on to teach writing at his primary school as well for years one and two. And after he left my custody, I did another year there helping with one-on-one readings and things. More recently, I have been working at Wintech in Hamilton, doing 
called the musician in residence, which basically just like, like I just walk around and try and pretend I'm cool to all of these younger, very clever people. That's been really great as well, just to have a bit of an insight into into their education system also. It's going to talk you through, I guess, a few different elements and you know, experiences that I've had. My experiences of working at WinTech along with the faculty and the students over the last couple of years, the one thing I've really recognised more than anything is um, the struggle of kind of keeping your head above water and having to work remotely here today being on a zoom call and not being in person you know i think for me it's been really reminding them that it's really important to work together as much as possible to utilize the community around them to engage in things that make them happy to discuss things like you know at the moment there's no failure and there's no there's nothing they can really do wrong or, you know, do wrong. It's just about trying to establish that resilience that can get them to a point where they still have belief in being able to achieve what they want to do. I think, you know, one thing that I take from Te Māori and Pacifica as well is that engagement of community and that involvement of it takes a village. It does take a village. And at the moment, you know, a lot of those natural responses that we'd normally use um, aren't available. So it's about creating as much of a community as you can around you, I think. And being able to ask for help when you can, there is, you know, a number of different ways to do that. But of course, to have good people around you that you know can support you and that you feel comfortable enough to be open with. I think getting back to the basics again, talking to my students, and even saying to them things like, you know, if you if you drop out of this course or if you, you know, don't think you can continue anything, that's not that's not the end of anything. That's another start of something. And specifically, obviously, with me doing music, the idea of going into a tertiary system to sort of learn about music, especially if it's more, you know, the holistic aspect of it in regards to writing or performing find that a difficult sort of concept to engage with however i've tried to establish it on how we can use that in this environment currently with the sort of last couple of years that we've had in shaping almost using that as a teachable situation of, of discipline being disciplined to wake up at the same time every day to make sure that you're getting out of the house that you're interacting with other people and that you're using this time to actually you know use this as a as a, a teaching mechanism of of how to cope with things in the future and again sort of just getting back to the basics of you know just basic things sort of routinely things coming into school and utilizing you know the faculty that they have got even if they're not um due to do anything or they don't need to specifically be there i guess i just wanted to touch base on that i've been really really struggling over the last year obviously my work has disintegrated <laughs> But also for me, like a lot of people were saying, oh, it must be great in lockdown. I'm sure you must be writing heaps of music. It must be great being home. It must be really great, you know, having time to 
to you know sort of do all these things and and me and a lot of my other peers have just felt the opposite you know i think the lack of energy around and just the the different kind of everything just feels a bit off and it's really hard to become creative in this situation and i can imagine for a lot of different people in their roles to find any kind of inspirational motivation i think that's been a really difficult one so i haven't been as creative as normally i haven't been working as as i normally would and that sort of just trickles down into a lot of different things that really struggling with over the last little while and i think that as well because the world is so much smaller now with social media and you know the way we're engaging with news stories or negative news stories or misinformation it's very very overwhelming and a lot of the songs that i wrote on my last record were actually touching those subjects and this was before the last couple of years so probably even more relevant now in regards to feeling really overwhelmed with seeing news stories that would upset me or that i'd want to help and feel helpless and then you've got your personal sort of situations and and sort of just trying to keep your head above water as well as subconsciously or not taking on all these other pressures that we're seeing around the, around the world this song i'm going to play now is called coming in from the dark and this was it's one of those one songs that kind of in a situation where things are really heavy and you know really difficult and you sort of don't feel like you can get out of it you don't feel like you can kind of get out of out of that little rut but then one day uh wake up and things feel lighter and you don't realize it's happened but you kind of realize that you've kind of broken free a little bit and you've um emerged through the dark part and now you're starting to to move forward and starting to feel more positive so i think so that's what this track is about so i'll jump into that I see the way that you avoid defeat And I know how quickly you see the setting sun You'll be forever in the distance The horizon doesn't wait for anyone You keep telling me that life keeps going on seem to know ever what you want I tread this water that you swim against that you counteract every time Seem to know 
How Tadeo Māori has come into my life and the way what it's done for me and how. So I grew up on the north shore of Tamaki Makaurau, Auckland. Very white, very white, but we had very little early 80s, mid 80s. There wasn't really much single parenting going on at the time. It was just me, mum, and my sister. So we had very little. Mum would just make a make a big pot of veggie ratatouille at the start of the week, and that would be us for the week. Yeah, very basic kind of um, things around us, but very loved. You know, super well looked after. My mum's a legend. So incredibly lucky. Grew up there. I didn't really have any kind of interaction with Māori, or there wasn't many cultural things like that going on. I mean, you know, we learned basic numbers and, you know, hello, goodbye and things like that, but nothing, nothing's been significant. So I guess it wasn't, I mean, my high school was a little bit more so, although that was almost a little bit more Pacifica than it was. This is Northcote College back in the day, so it's sort of before it was a bit more gentrified around the area. Uh, a lot of state housing in a lot of quite varied and quite wide demographics of people really on at that, at that time on the shore Northcote college was still it didn't necessarily it didn't have a particularly good reputation at the time but it had a really amazing music department and these guys sing who was the music teacher there that's sort of why i went he had an amazing jazz program and i was into jazz and blues and that kind of style so i really wanted to go there so there was a bit more of a pacifica vibe there but uh still not necessarily one I was interacting with. I left high school, like I said, after I finished sixth form and I went into hospitality. I was working in town, a very safe place for a 17 year old to grow up in. I was doing gigs, but then I moved down to Wellington. And so Wellington was a bit of a turning point for me. When I first got down there, there was a band called Trinity Roots. For you who don't know who they are, it was a sort of reggae, reggae rock trio of three lovely Māori boys, Warren, Rio and Ricky. And Warren kind of took me under his wing a bit. The first weekend we were down there, ended up at a little campfire around the, around the campfire with the boys and the guitar came out and we were all singing songs and, and they were like, oh, okay. So I was hanging out with them a lot, which was the first time I'd really gotten to understand a little bit more about what Māori was in regards to the culture and regards to what it is. I mean, 
prior to then being obviously quite white bread and only having the media and you know the stereotypes that were portrayed through the media at that time i didn't really have much of an opinion as a whole or as a, as a stereotype but you know obviously saw a lot more negative than i did positive however i have always been someone who prefers to look at individuals as opposed to stereotypes but but yeah so that was a really interesting time for me so shortly after we hung out that night I ended up going to the studio with them just to hang out and then I ended up on a record and then we ended up and then I, I toured with them around the country so and that was when I really sort of understood what it was and really it really ignited my passion for for Māori tanga because everywhere we went because they were strongly represented as Māori, you know, most of the audience were, were going to a really small town. Just the hospitality was incredible, the people were amazing, you know, like, and that was the cool thing about the boys as well, is they were just really responsive and really, really grateful, obviously. Anywhere we went, there would normally be at least one group of people who would come up and be like, oh, please come, like, you know, I know you're busy and you're on the road, but we have put a hangi down for you, we've got, like, a, we've put a sheet up to watch the rugby after the thing, and like, if you just want to like come over and hang out like more than welcome but no pressure just whatever and you know so quite often we'd finish the gig and just jump in the van and turn up at these random people's places and just meet the most beautiful people have an amazing kai sit around sing songs and lots of laughing lots of lots of aroha it was just really amazing for me to see that and and you know like everywhere we went we were sort of sleeping mud eye styles there'd just be random people everywhere and it was just going from what i knew as a family of a you know a, a nucleus family to appreciating what whānau is and what that means to have a family and and it's not just that nucleus anymore you know it can be it can be everyone it can be it's your community it's who you love and who you grow with and feel comfortable around. So these things were really, really special for me. And that definitely piqued my interest in several things. I started trying to speak to Māori back then. The boys were learning at the time as well. And there was interesting things as well, being Pākehā in that environment, like, and especially because I was only, you know, I was like 19. I was young and looked younger probably. The whole crew and everything were Māori. I'd turn up to a gig and would be at soundcheck and like people would come in and they'd be really rude to me. And it was the first time, you know, it was like, oh, oh, can't sweep far out. You know, sort of having the first recognition or the first realisation, sorry, of of that white privilege. I was the one and uh, I was the one who wasn't the norm. And they were like like little white shit doing here anyway, kind of thing. And it wasn't until often after the show when I'd been singing with them and they realised, they'd be like, oh, this is so, so cool. <laughs> didn't do that before the show. You know, but it really, it, it made me realise, because, I mean, of course, when it first started happening, I was like, man, that's like so rude and sucks and, you know, whatever. But then very quickly understood and realised that how that felt and how I needed to appreciate that feeling and and take that on within my understanding of other people and, and having empathy. That was a really a, a big learning curve for me in a lot of ways and I learned a lot from it and I guess at the time Te Reo Māori wasn't being spoken hardly at all. It was sort of when the resurgence of the culture was starting to, to make ways but it was a long way, you know, it's been vast since then. And so when I was trying to speak Te Reo Māori in 
in crowds with Māori, quite often I'd get shut down quite quickly. It would be like, who are you trying to be? This isn't your culture. You know, like, who, what, what are you trying to, what are you trying to do? Who are you trying to be? And so, unfortunately, I did get discouraged from that because I, I felt that I was offending people and that was obviously not what I wanted to do. So I just sort of kept it to myself. I definitely stopped the really active progression of me, but I've always still tried. I'm, I'm not to sentence structures. I know a lot of words, but yeah, I don't know how to glue them together yet. But yeah, so that was a really significant transformation for me and that changed a lot of the way I did my music and the way I thought about things in different ways I did my songs. And when I talk about, you know, being scared to speak to Reo Māori, and there is a bit of a fear from that past situation. However, and I think with a lot of Pākehā who have been basically mistaught from a young age, having to unlearn things like tauranga, taupo, you know, sort of really making an active decision to change pronunciations and do things. And then for me, it was always a fear that I would muck it up. And for me, it's quite often the, the more basic phrases that I tongue tie on because I know I'm supposed to, you know, it's more of an anxious sort of reaction where it's like, I know what I need to say and in my head, I'm saying it great and my mouth goes bleh. And I'm embarrassed because I don't want to mispronounce anything. I don't want to offend anybody by mispronunciation and I want to do my best by it. So sometimes I am definitely too afraid to to speak it even in this corridor there are several words i could have pulled into <laughs> pulled into the conversation but i'm just going to keep it simple or else i'll start getting nervous but that sort of leads me into the waiata anthems sort of situation because I, I was asked to do the national anthem for several really massive all black games and things like that and i was so scared of mispronunciation of the anthem that I just said no, I was too scared because I knew one simple tiny mistake and you know like it just wouldn't be forgotten. And so I, I always turned down those opportunities because I was too scared. One point Tamawaipara and in the Wihimohi came to me regarding translating bathe in the river into Te Reo Māori and that was going to be for an arts festival show initially. And we kind of put this together and we had Tweedy Waititi who did the translation, who we worked very heavily with. Obviously, I didn't write the song, for those of you who don't know. So Don McGlashan wrote that song for, um, as part of a soundtrack for a movie called Number Two in 2006, I think it was. They included me on the translation front in regards to just how the song was developed and what it represented to us and what it represented to, to everybody. You know, it became an incredibly strong song. It was, you know, used in tangi, it was in weddings, it was used in births, it was, you know, it was, it, it encumbers, you know, sort of again, this sort of um, emerging through the depths of, of hardship and finding finding peace. So it really did become an anthem to a lot of people in Aotearoa, which was incredibly great. Don is such an incredible orator. He's such a beautiful speaker. He's so articulate and he's so thoughtful. And so he was able to articulate what the song represented and then Tweety Waititi did an incredible job of translating. Just that whole thing of not using transliteration but using, you know, really the more spiritual elements of what it all represents. And even with the Kūtukūtia, there's some phrases in that song or words in that song that are very much quite old, old languagey, quite 
sort of almost religious in nature in regards to, you know, like sort of kurikuti, it was more instead of, it was more of a, a baptism, it was more of, you know, sort of that cleansing, you know, which we all know what the words mean, but all of a sudden having this articulation of te reo Māori into the song was just really incredible to see how those words, working with uh, Scotty Morrison as well, we did Coming In From The Dark, in te reo Māori I decided after Waita Anthems that I could release anything bilingually. It didn't need to be part of anything specific, any specific project. But the thing that really struck me with the translation is just, it's more of a feeling. And I feel like the words that sort of, I would write this, and then there would be this word that kind of enveloped the emotion of the entire thing. You know, I guess it's like the word tangi, you know, it's, it's, it represents, you know, the, the tears and the funeral and, and to mourn and all of these different things. But what the word tangi does is actually it creates a, a mood, it creates a colour and it creates an entire sort of bubble of something. And so it it's, can be open to interpretation, but then it can be, you know, just like, you know, having a little cry or it could be, you know, mourning to the depths of, you know, whatever. But it's just, it's the feeling that, it holds is, is seems to have so much more power due to the metaphorical nature of it. And so watching these songs transform, when I was explaining coming in from the dark to Scotty, he just sort of, he visualised these things. So at the end when it's the coming in from the dark, but it was, you know, he was sort of talking about how, you know, Papatua um, Nuku and, you know, sort of, like, like just how they were getting forced apart and there was this light breaking in and it was about this sort of, you know, and just the way he explained it and visualised it and, you know, it was, you know, you could feel the way that the light was starting to come in and it was creeping in and, you you know, you could feel the freedom and the release of everything. And so it's just these really gorgeous sort of metaphors and visual sort of fluid interpretations of things that really has made me think differently about the way that I write and the way that I think about sentences and what I'm trying to express within those sentences. It's really helped. It's almost been quite good to take the songs into something, take them into Te Reo Māori and then also almost sort of translate them back into English in a way, sort of, you know, sort of amalgamating those few things. That's sort of been my journey on things. and with the way I see things. And another big thing that I've really taken from, you know, my journey with understanding more about Te Māori is one thing that, like, a, a lot of my students, like, you know, one of the main things, especially for the, you know, sort of the, the younger ragatahi is, you know, it's all about nerves and getting over being on stage and, you know, sort of, it's always like, oh, no, to, you know, stink, don't want to, and get real freaked out about stuff. And one thing that I really enjoy having a talk to them, I often do like a Māori and music kind of um, little workshop. And uh, I pull up takes that um, when he performed at the Silver Scrolls, he did a cover of uh, Rhea's, uh, a song of Rhea Hall's, and an incredible kapahaka group. And it was just, it, every time I see it, I've seen it a million times and it still gets me every time. And so I showed them that. And so when they're talking about being nervous or, you know, things like that, I generally sit them down and go, okay, I want you to go and watch at least a whole bracket of kapaka. I want you to understand that all of those people were nervous too. They're not, they're not coming on stage and being like, oh, 
shame, like <laughs> looking around or whatever, you know, it's something that you have to hold in you. And when you walk on that stage, you need to find what that is. And that's something that I found really powerful about watching kapaka, like with my son's whanau, a lot of them do competitive kapahaka. So I've seen a lot of it now and it never fails to amaze me that even after watching it for four hours, someone can come out and yeah, they have you in the palm of your hand. And I always use kapahaka as a way to try and engage with that uh, nervous energy and things and go, what are they drawing on? What do they have to try and prove? What is their intention when they get on that stage? What are they trying to have these people leave with? What are they doing and how are they doing it? What are they drawing from? And that's been a really helpful technique in getting some of my students to overcome their fear of stage and stage fright and things. Just embracing that power and, and finding what can give you that strength to get on with what you need to do and do it properly. I'm now going to sing bass and kurikutia. My voice is still a little bit bung from COVID and a bunch of stress.
She muscled her way back in. It's like the, you know, the people that come to the back of the stage and just hang around. <laughs> hey, Kari, not only your incredible wayata has been really touching people in the chat, but also all your kōrero. It's interesting to me that you say, I don't know what I'm doing here, and then you just drop these truth bombs uh, that are really relevant to all of the kaupapa that you learned about. So thank you for that honesty. Can I just say, because I feel the need to, that I see you as a champion of Te Reo Māori and I'm grateful for your mahi. And uh, thank you for sharing how uncomfortable that is sometimes, even when you're trying your best. So tēnārawātukwe. And I know that Scotty loved that. You know, understanding more about what your songs are actually about, people are sitting in the chat, oh, that it has this colour to it, you know, they're going to steal it. You said quite a few things they're going to steal, so just so you know. <laughs> but we have some pātai here. Can one quantify creativity? I'm thinking rubrics for application in any subject area in terms of competencies. So, I mean, like how could your music teacher go, give you anything but, but an A+, plus, but then because of the rubrics, maybe you didn't get that. Do you know what I mean? Of course I got A+. Um, <laughs> That was the thing with Steve. He was really amazing in that regard. And, you know, it was, he would just be aware of how much effort I was putting in. So he would almost give me my own, you know, sort of thing. Like if I wasn't doing enough. <laughs> so I think depending on what level you're at, um, I mean, for WinTech, for uh, for example, you know, we, we did just sort of have a, a basic rubric that we kind of went to. But again, I mean, I normally do it a little bit holistically as well. It's like if I know one of the students is really amazing and isn't trying hard enough, then I will judge it on that. But no, I don't. I think that's the problem with things like art and music and why it's it is difficult to quantify educational kind of formats. I don't see how you can possibly kind of sort of go, oh, hey, that's a really good piece of art and that's a really shit piece of art. Same with songwriting and song ideas. You know, I mean, Nirvana is a good example. It's what they're trying to achieve with their intention and that's what I always come back with within teaching is like what's your intention what do you what do you want people to come away feeling and what do you want to feel you've left them with I really liked one that said about how would you help other people like say maybe teachers who aren't uh, confident in terms of te reo Māori but know that they, they want to do that what is something that you know we can do to feel more feel braver about it I guess 
this is going to be a generational shift of today are becoming yeah. more and more um, accessible and just unlearning the stuff that we've learned wrong for such a long time. It's the unlearning and also a lot of it is obviously the unwilling to, unwillingness to, to unlearn and re-educate. But I think if you want to try, I mean, things that I do, for example, like if I'm driving around, I, on a, you know, daily basis, I'm looking at a word and working on the pronunciation, or I'm even trying to figure out like where that came from, like what the word represents, like, you know, sort of why no, it's like, okay, big water, or, you know, along those sort of terms. So I'm trying to utilize, you know, the basic words that I do know, and then just pronouncing them over and over and over again. So that's sort of my little driving, driving thing, just to familiarize myself with the pronunciations and and if I get stuck have a think about it which is why you know I'm a, a big fan of redoing signs so macrons are involved because otherwise it gets really hard anyway <laughs> okay I mean yeah that would be logical wouldn't it uh, Janelle Kayakwe but um I just want to on behalf of everybody before you you finish with your waiata ewa I have been moved as I'm sure everybody has with the openness by which you have shared with us today I appreciate your kōrero we heard teachers in the room have a big sigh when you talked about being a teacher aide because they were like oh yep Holly will get us she'll understand that world so thank you for sharing that part of your life with us this is a track that I wrote for Taimana my boy it was just that thing you know like he was a kid and he was he was like, I want to be a, actually he always wanted to be an ambulance driver. He wanted to be a paramedic, but he would just go, I want to be an ambulance when I grew up. And I'm like, paramedic. I'm going to be an ambulance when I grew up. Okay. But he, um, just over time, you know, as he got older and, and sort of saw reality, especially as being a Maori boy and, you know, sort of being put in uh, that sort of thing more and more through school or whatever it was. Um, so this is a song that I sort of wrote about um, him sort of becoming cynical too soon and me uh, telling him that he's something good. This is a track with something good. There's a child the hope was A child with a lifetime to live. Every breath to exhale, you didn't hold them yet. But I believe in something good. I believe in something good. Every glass you held was half full. Every dream you had was to fulfill. And all these things are changing. Mm -hmm. I believe in something good. And I believe in something good. I believe in you.
you're going up, but you can't see those changes. Oh, every day is still just all you know. Oh, but every day you're creating. You're creating a stronger world for you to live in. Ooh, I believe in something good. Yeah. I believe in something good. I believe in you. Koutou, you've been listening to a Core Education Tatai Ahoro podcast.